Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Now today we've plenty to discuss in the world of Tottenham Hotspur, including the hunt for a new head coach. Alice Gold joining me as ever. Ali, how are you? Yeah, absolutely fan-dabby dozy. Um, oh, do you know what? We should have started this with the music from Back to the Future because I feel like we've stepped in a DeLorean, gone back. For some reason, we've only gone back two years to 2021, which was not a good summer. Um, and we're now kind of replaying a lot of what happened uh, in that time. I mean, God, where were we at? We must be getting close to that managerial kind of time, that search time in 2021, aren't we? Yeah, very close to it. I think we're 61 days now since Antonio Conte left his position uh, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Two years ago, it was a 72-day search, uh, what culminated in Nuno Espirito Santo being appointed as head coach. So I think we're going to uh, surpass those 72 days, uh, the way it's going at the moment, unless... You know, Daniel leaving the club can make a, a quick decision over the club's next head coach. Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, whatever's happened, whatever's going to happen in the days or weeks ahead, it's fine as long as you get the right person um, and you don't end up with Nuno, with no disrespect to Nuno, but he was not the right person for the, at that time. Um, and I suppose in the past, you know, they've they've taken longer i remember i think it was the season that hoddle went quite early yeah it was quite early maybe first half of the season i think they had pleat until the end of the season and then was it santini came in and then joel took over so in a weird way they didn't even get the right person that time but they ended up stumbling on the right person because he was there as his assistant um but yeah yeah it's been another one of those weeks at tottenham hotspur hasn't it it has, and I think I think we were all probably hoping for some positive news at the end of this week with Arna Slot potentially becoming Tottenham's uh, next manager. I think it looked like he was heading that way. Then everyone probably wanted him to uh, replace Conte at the helm, given the really, really good job he's done at Feyenoord. But in the end, he's now remaining in Rotterdam. He was speaking yesterday morning. Uh, he was quoted in AD, which is a Dutch publication. He said, I've been hearing a lot of rumours going around about other clubs interesting me, although I am thankful. My wish is to stay at Feyenoord and continue working on what we created last year. There is not and there has not been transfer conversation and yesterday's meeting was exclusively for an extension. All talks with the club have always been only in that sense. I'm looking forward to next season. With Feyenoord. So now Tottenham back to square one, uh, right again. I mean, you were someone who was certainly pushing for slot as head coach, uh, given what he's done in Rotterdam. Disappointing news then for you? Absolutely. I was all aboard the Tottenham Slotsburg train. I really was. Um, and I just love the way, you know, we've spoken before about shaping the narrative, and I do love the way that. Um, even Arna Slot, you know, his press conference a couple of days ago, while being very diplomatic, was all about, you know, oh, the Premier League is amazing. It's the top league. If I if I were to if my next job were to be in the Netherlands, then I failed and all of this. And two days later or so, it's like I've always wanted to stay here. What a wonderful place. Um, but you know, I guess you could kind of say fair play to him in that regard. He's had a brilliant season and it's exciting next season for Feyenoord. And look, if this was the other way around and Spurs fans were looking to keep their manager because they had Champions League or whatever next season, a big season ahead, they would love it as well. So it's one of these situations, I think, where we're maybe never going to know the full story because all sides are going to, uh, as I say, shape it in the way they want it to be shaped. Um there's, you know, if you look at it from the Dutch side of things, there certainly seems to be a suggestion that the compensation figure would have been far, for, far, far kind of higher than Spurs were expecting. Because um, obviously there was a clause for next summer, not this one. And I think it was only something like five, six million pounds, wasn't it? I say only, but it relatively. And then obviously there's been talk in the Netherlands that uh, for them, him to go now, it would have been 20, uh, maybe 15, 20 million for him to go, which obviously, personally, my views are always 
if you want the right manager, I feel that they could be more important than the player. So I never kind of truly understand why the fee for a manager is seen as excessive when you'd easily spend that on a player. Although some people have told me about balance sheets and assets and there's all this other sort of financial side to these things. But yeah, there's that. There's, you know, Arna Slot is clearly because he's staying and wants to push for the fans a very clear idea of, I wanted to stay. All these talks were always about staying. Um, But then I'm sure Tottenham will probably say, or probably wouldn't ever publicly say, but I'm sure what their end, what would come out of it would be that, oh, you know, maybe it was never as advanced as everyone thought it was. Maybe that Slot, you know, the kind of dancing around he did in his previous press conference was a little bit because it was all part of maybe getting himself a better deal, a contract, you know. We've seen that before. We've seen it with players. We've seen it with managers. Uh, I mean, we saw Vincent Company heavy links with Spurs and, and Shock Horror, he signed a new deal as well. But then there's also, there's a third aspect to it, and it may just be that Tottenham aren't currently the attractive prospect that they used to be. Um, I do think a lot of it is down to the absolute unknown that's happening at the club right now. You know, you've got a club that doesn't have a director of football in place, which is a big thing, especially for European head coaches that are used to working within that structure. To not know who you're going to be work with, it's almost like, I don't know, signing up an actor signing up to a film that hasn't got a script um, already in place. You don't really know what's what's coming for you, and and that's that's got to play a big part in decision making. I do think probably the Harry Kane situation is another one is not knowing entirely about your long-term planning. I wouldn't say that's a major one, but also having your star player and not knowing whether he's going to be there or not, I do think has got a little factor to it. And obviously, on another angle, I think you look at what Spurs have been doing to their managers in recent years, and you're probably going to be a little bit apprehensive about it. I mean, they've taken you know, two of the most well-renowned, and I'm not talking about Nuno here, two of the most kind of famous trophy-winning managers out there have had success everywhere they've gone. And they've come to Spurs and not been able to replicate that. And they've both been gone far quicker than they, you know, had probably, I don't think, in any other job. I'm trying to think. Do they both have their shortest runs at any club? Probably. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I can't think yeah, I think the ball, the ball has had longer, maybe like three years is the thing with Mourinho, wasn't it? Every, everything was always, it's the third season where it goes wrong. And Conte maybe had two two years at Chelsea. So yeah, I think 17-month reign, definitely the shortest for them. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we saw Jose um, having his little pop. Um, I'm sure he was kind of set up with what the question was to do so. But yeah, saying that he, it's the one club he hasn't really got a bond with, Spurs. And, uh, you know, they obviously didn't let him have the chance to play that final and potentially win another trophy for his collection and he didn't have the fans in COVID. So I kind of understood it, to be fair. I don't, I don't think it was the most outlandish thing anyone's ever said. But yeah, but managers must be looking at what's happened to two of the biggest in the game and thinking, well, God, you know, well, maybe they even do look at Nuno and they think, oh, Nuno wasn't even to their standards or uh, level of history. He was gone within three months of the season starting. So is it an impossible task? Are you actually going to be given any chance to do what you want to do? Um, And then there's the other element of maybe he he wanted more control than Spurs were willing to give. Um, Maybe he felt it was in the driving seat. It's one of those where unless you were sitting in those meetings, you're probably not going to know the entire um, kind of true path of the way it went um and also even if you were sitting in those meetings when you come out of those meetings you're probably going to tell it in different versions in different ways to uh to make your cause look like the right one um but it's just ultimately really disappointing because i did believe that he fit spurs really nicely uh he would have slotted in quite well if you'll pardon the pun um (laughs) i guess he's shaking his head um and yeah, I felt, you know, this is a club that needs a massive rebuild. Whatever people say, I do feel it does. Um, and I think with his experience of doing that at Feyenoord, a team that was ripped apart after his first, you know, decent season there, they lost a lot of their star players um, and he and he rebuilt them into title challenges um, and a team that obviously went far in Europe again. So it, it would have, it's quite interesting, I think, the whole aspect of, 
the other maybe forgotten part of this is that uh, is it to closer the um uh, general manager at Feyenoord claims that he turned down Spurs. I wonder whether that also played a part as a double act would um slot have come in with more confidence and belief that okay well I've got someone above me that knows exactly what I'm like whereas maybe when that fell apart maybe it was like ooh who am I going to get paired up with here it could it could be anyone you know um so yeah there's a lot of aspects to this and just ultimately one of disappointment really because you know, it feels from the outside that it's just another one of these managerial appointments that felt like it was going all the way and didn't happen. You know, Spurs, like I say, Spurs may well say, oh, it wasn't as advanced as people made out. And certainly Feyenoord were claiming that Spurs hadn't actually approached them at that point. However, what I would say is that Spurs, you know, we certainly got a very strong sense about Nagelsmann and not being a candidate at that point. Um if that was the case with with Slot, and even if there was a feeling maybe that he was looking for a new contract, why would noises not have come out from the club to that you know that view before this all happened? That that's why the only reason I would question that because surely you would come out and distance yourself, uh, whether you know privately or publicly. Um, so yeah, yeah, we go again. We're used to that with the managerial search, and and we see who uh, who comes up next. And personally, I kind of now at the point where I think you do have to get the director of football in first. I think just get that kind of position sorted, then there's stability for whoever you're now going for as the next manager. Yeah, I think that's always been the big question, hasn't it? Since Fabio Paratici uh, left, whether. Whether Tottenham would, you know, shelf their uh, search for a head coach to look for a managing director of football, first of all, because I think you've got to have a managing director of football who, you know, wants that head coach, who, you know, understands him, who likes him. So then it works. You don't want someone coming in who's not a fan of the head coach because then otherwise, you know, it's not going to work and you will more than likely be uh, back to square one again uh, looking for a new manager. So, yeah, it's uh, certainly dragging on. But what I would say in terms of the manager search is, although it's 61 days now, the fact that it happened at the end of March, uh, you're always very unlikely to find, I think, your permanent manager within the last month or two of the season. So, yeah, uh, this one may drag on a lot longer uh, than it did for Nuno, but I think you might have to take that into consideration uh, in terms of slot, I know what you mean in, with the compensation. Why wouldn't you pay it when you'd happily pay that for, you know, a player? 20 million's like the going rate for an average player now. It, it's nothing. But what I would say is maybe with a player, they retain the value, don't they? A manager, you don't see clubs coming in and bidding for a manager. Are you obviously selling a manager for 10, 15 million to another club. So I don't know if maybe Spurs that... players retain their value though. <laughs> <But> I know <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so maybe that has a part in the thinking, but as well, like the reports are saying, if it's gone from 6 million up to 20 million, if you're looking at that from a business perspective, if say if you were buying a house or a car, you just immediately say, no, I'm not paying that much. It, it's just daft. So yeah, who knows where, Tottenham are going to go uh, next in terms of the manager search, whether or not they go back, uh, make it what would be a rather embarrassing U-turn and going for Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, I think Brendan Rodgers and Poster Coglu are the current favourites with the bookmakers now. I think Ruben Amarim at Sporting CPs, a bit of an outsider as well. I'm sure there's other names on the list, but I think just... Tottenham fans just want this search to be done and dusted with because it's just it's just dragging on far too long and everyone's just becoming extremely frustrated with it all. Yeah, I mean, look, if I'm Spurs right now and and slot is completely out of the, the picture, I'm struggling to understand why you don't throw everything in your power at getting Julian Nagelsmann in. Because, you know, before slot, he was the one that ticked every single box. Um, and this is why I think we're all so bewildered by how strongly word came from within the club that he was not a candidate and they did not intend to meet him either. And, you know, obviously there's, the, again, it's coming from different sides, but 
the the idea from Germany appeared to be about the lack of um, trust in the structure, like I was saying, and the having no director of football, which just leads itself to this obvious question of, well, what if a director of football came in that suited him absolutely fine and he knew well? What what would, does that mean? You're not now going going to go back to the best candidate for the job? It's such a weird stance, and it was so. This is why we were all so surprised. Um, and yeah, if I'm Spurs right now, that's what, exactly what I'm doing. I'm saying, okay, we're going to look a little bit daft, but we do that quite a lot anyway. Let's just go back, absolutely go and get, you know, the top candidate for the job. For me, he is. And, and you know, I've always said it. For me, Nagelsmann and Slot were the two that I felt fitted it really well. I do like the idea of Ruben Amrin. I do. I'd say he's going to be, would be slightly different. It's obviously a different formation. It would probably suit their squad better because he's got the... Uh, the back three and everything. It's probably not going to have to chop and change too much with some of those new arrivals, uh, specifically Porro and Udogi. But yeah, for Nagelsmann, it just, honestly, I would offer him the world, offer him like, you know, kind of guarantees about the future, get, get the director of football that he would like. I know it's not the right way to do it, I know there's some people that we were screaming right now and going, no, 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 you don't give someone that much power kind of thing. But what I would say in, in response to that is is that where the powers lay at Spurs over recent years has not worked out for them. <laughs> it's not. Maybe giving someone that actually has a sense and a direction and a real idea of what they want to do a little bit more control and power might not be the worst thing in the world um, because the decision-making obviously has been pretty horrendous at times over the years. Um, so yeah, Nagelsmann for me, he's uh, he's available. <laughs> he's not got a job. I'm actually struggling to see what better jobs, oh sorry, bigger high-profile jobs come up at the moment. Um, you know, maybe some Italian ones, perhaps. I don't know. Um, some people talking about maybe the PSG job, but if again, if I'm him, I still don't see that as. I know you're working with these stars and everything, but your day-to-day kind of French league is not going to be the Premier League. It's not going to be the level of that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, I don't know. This is why I just can never entirely rule it out. I'm just going back for Nagelsmann, even though it kind of felt as, as emphatic as Spurs can ever be because they do do so many U-turns. Um, I know you like uh, Ange Postacoglu. Go on in. Give it. Give us the. Give us the. Uh, the case of the defence for for Ange. Uh, I think Ange would be a good choice. Uh, I think he fits what Daniel Levy is after in terms of the next Tottenham manager. He said in obviously his annual program notes for the club's last home game uh, last Saturday against Brentford. Obviously, we shall spend the period ahead of next season, working relentlessly to position our club for on-pitch success and football you will love to come and watch. I think if you all over again. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I think if you've watched Celtic uh, of the past two years or if you've spoken to Celtic fans, they will, you know, absolutely rave about Ange Postacoglu and, you know, the football that Celtic have, have been playing. And he's also done a rebuild job at Celtic Park as well. Uh, when he came in, uh, Rangers had won the league the previous season. I didn't realise the gap was so big. It was 25 points, which you very rarely see uh, in Scotland. And there was a lot of players who went out the door, players such as Odson Edward, uh, Ryan Christie, Christopher Ager as, as well, Scott Brown. And he brought practically uh, a brand new team in, uh, brought players in from Japan who uh, he knew, obviously Kyogo up front, Maeda, uh, Raya Hatati as well. Two Tottenham players, Joe Hart and Cameron Carter-Vickers, who've done really well. And obviously there were a lot of question marks over basically who is he uh, when he came in. And, you know, those question marks still persisted, especially with them exiting the Champions League qualifiers early and then losing three of the first seven games uh, in Scotland. But they won practically every game after that. They won the double last year playing really, really uh, good football. He's got a football philosophy, an attacking one. He sticks to it. I think one of his main says is basically trust the process 
and he sticks with it. I think that's what Eric Byer says. On it. <laughs> I think what he wants is to give fans entertainment, and I think that stems from his childhood. Uh, he said it before, obviously, born in Greece, moved over to Australia at the age of five, and for his dad, uh, who was working maybe five, six days a week. Uh, I think he said one of his coping mechanisms was for him just to go to football, a bit of a, a release for him uh, from the day-to-day -day work, uh, to spend time with, you know, like-minded people before going back uh, to the job. And I think he, he knows, you know, people have troubles in their lives and football is a bit of a release for them. So he wants them to be entertained, give them what they want. And I think he can do that uh, for Tottenham. I think he's done a really, really good job at Celtic. I know a lot of Tottenham fans don't want him, but when what when you look at what he's done at Celtic, he kind of does fit the brief. I think it's one of these where you've just got to give him a chance. You know, you've gone for high-profile managers in the past two of the past three appointments and they've not worked out. Surely now is it time for a change of direction? Do something else. You know, it really, really could work. So obviously that's down to Daniel Levy uh, and Tottenham now. But I think Ange does have the qualities to be the next Tottenham manager. Whether or not he is, that's one thing we'll have to wait and see. I'll tell you what, if he ever goes to court, he could do a lot worse than getting you in as his <laughs> representative. <laughs> as a character witness, that was yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was enjoying that. I was like, oh, do you know what? I wasn't actually really for him too much, but um, I quite like that. Um, yeah, it, it's the thing with him. Look, there's, there's links. Obviously, Scott Munn worked with him back in Australia, knows him well. Um, so that is one strong link. And yes, the football sounds, everyone kind of raves about it. My only, if I'm going to be um, maybe ultra critical, is, is it easier to play that brand of football? in the Scottish league when you're Celtic, um, you may be not coming up against the most stern attacks coming in the other direction. Although people could easily counter that with, you know, maybe you could say Eredivisie, um, perhaps, but then I would say Feyenoord where maybe having previously been one of the superpowers, maybe in recent years have not, I think they've only won a couple of league titles in a, maybe this century, perhaps in yeah. this last 20 yeah, years, or right. so, 23 years. Yeah. So, Maybe that's more difficult. Um, either way, I think either man obviously is a bit of a gamble. Um, let's be honest, anyone coming to Spurs clearly is a gamble nowadays, isn't it? Even Conte and Mourinho coming in ended up being a gamble because of what a club Tottenham are. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I wouldn't say I'd be out there on the streets kind of uh, holding up placards <laughs> if Postacoglu came in. Uh, sure, he, he'd uh, have a very certain style to him, but I don't know. Maybe it's just this weird kind of thing within me now where I feel like they need this rebuild. And maybe rightly or wrongly, I'm feeling it should be geared towards a manager earlier in his career. Uh, someone that really desperately wants this job. And I'm not saying he, he doesn't. I don't know whether Postacoglu does. But certainly a young manager that can really stamp their authority on this club. And... Uh, I don't, I'm saying young manager is a difficult one there. I don't know. I think I, I'd rather say at the start of their career, near the beginning, someone that can develop with the club. That's kind of what I want to see. It doesn't have to necessarily be a young manager. It could be an older manager, but I think it does have to be someone that's, yeah, ready to grow. And I think we've seen that in a lot of the candidates, you know, Slot, Amrim, like we had company earlier on as well. Xavi Alonso, obviously, being um, one of the names mentioned as well. They all do seem to fit this profile of someone. Let's be honest, it's it's a young Poch. That's what they're looking for. The next Pochettino, because <laughs> they couldn't just go to Pochettino for some reason. Uh, so they've got to find the next best thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I know Brendan Rodgers is always going to be linked with the Spurs job. I think he is pretty much every time it comes up. Um, I think he's one that you wouldn't be totally against, would you? No, I think he has, again, the qualities uh to be uh, a Tottenham manager, but I think for a lot of people, it might just be recency bias. They might just look at this season, what's happened to Leicester and think, no, we don't want him. But look what he's done at 
Leicester, uh, won them the FA Cup for the first time in the club's history. He's had them in the Europa League uh, successive seasons. To be honest, they really should have been in the Champions League because they missed out on the final day, but I think he's done a really good job. I think this season, uh, I think it was hampered by the club not spending uh, in the transfer market and they've gone backwards as a result. Uh, just a couple of other things on Postacoglu. I know you mentioned age. Is 57. I know a lot of people say, well, he's too old, he's too old, like making out with like he's 97 or something. But <laughs> it's, it's, he's 57, right? And I know he's, people say, oh, we want the young manager. But how long the managers last at clubs now? It's yeah, not it's like true. you have managers for 10 plus years. It's very rare you're going to get another Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger. Uh, I think Klopp's the longest serving in the Premier League. He'll be coming up to eight years towards the back end of this year. I think this summer's Pep, seven years. Then after that, you might be looking at Thomas Frank, five years, Arteta, four years. I mean, look at Antonio Conte, Jose Mourinho, 17 months in the job. So then why does age matter if they're not going to be here long? And I know a, a few will point to his career, that he's not had a top European job or anything before. And, you know, credit to him for doing obviously the hard yards and going around different clubs and he's made the difference wherever he's been. Whereas some managers is handed to them, uh, really maybe because of the playing career and they're given a top job uh, straight away. But I mean, if you look at Deserby, would some people have turned their nose up at him prior to going to Brighton? If you look at the clubs he's been at, the same with Potter as well. Uh, before he went to Brighton because he'd been at what Ostersunds in Sweden Swansea as well I think it's one of these where you've just got to give someone a chance really just to prove uh, they can do the job so yeah uh, on Rodgers and I think Potter as well I know they're two names quite high on the bookies list as well I, I, I think the fit Tottenham but as I was saying, it might just be recency bias as a case why maybe Tottenham fans just don't want them. Yeah, it could be. could be. You just reminded me of Deserby there. I would love Deserby, to be yeah, honest. But yeah. I just can't see why you would leave Brighton right now. I think that you'd be absolutely mad to leave that project. I know they're going to lose a few players again this summer, but every year they improve on that, even when they lose players. Um, I think he would be wonderful at Spurs I think he would be a mad character at Spurs and probably that's what would put them off um, if anything and maybe the again the cost Brighton would presumably ask for a lot of money if he were to want to go but again I don't I don't know why you would want to go I, th- I think you'd be mad to leave Brighton right now um, yeah Rogers. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those is there I think that noise kind of said everything didn't it I think there would be some good football played. And, you know, for those who want James Madison, that maybe make that easier if that were to happen. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I, it's Again, yeah, you're right. It could be recency bias. It could be seeing them in recent uh, times. It could be just, I wonder whether he's a, and this could be completely wrong, whether he's a manager that has kind of reached his ceiling. Can he kind of go any further? But then, hey, I guess he's won silverware. That's something that Spurs haven't done in a long time. So is that that bad a ceiling? I don't know. Maybe it's just, like I say, this weird thing I've got myself into now where I kind of want someone to be, and I know it doesn't really happen, but someone to actually develop at Spurs and become this long-term kind of figure that leads Spurs into this glorious new era. But you're absolutely right. You know, Spurs, especially under the Enoch era, (laughs) <laughs> the managers they've had about a billion in the last 23 years they, they don't probably the average time of a manager is probably only about two seasons two and a half seasons so and that's you know very helpfully that's helped uh, made it any bigger by Pochettino being there for five and a half years I think you take him out of there and goodness knows what that average is uh, you know I've had three this season alone <laughs> so um yeah, look, I, I could be just being very idealistic and, and wanting something that actually might be more of a risk. You know, this is what people said about slot. It's like for every aspect of maybe getting the next Ten Hag type, you could also get the next Frank de Boer type. You, you just never know which way it's going to go. But then that's the same with everything. But from what I do understand, 
is that Daniel Levy is trying to lean on a lot of various very experienced people within the game that he trusts. And whether that's in any field connected with football, whether that's, you know, within football clubs, outside football clubs, uh, maybe high-powered high agents, maybe, you know, just, just people that have been loyal advisors in various countries over the years that he's had. He's trying, from my understanding, is to, to get that, um, how do I put this? Um, just get everything, everything that you can possibly put into this decision. Um, I know it doesn't always look like it when you see events like the last week, and which you can obviously read in so many different ways. Um, you know, technically, <laughs> legally, I think he could go back to Fabio Paratici now if he wanted to, because Paratici had the FIFA element of his ban um, partially reduced, didn't he? So I think he's allowed to do certain tasks. So, you know, who knows? He could even go back to Paratici and say, you know, I need your advice. Um, if he does that, they're definitely going to end up Luis Enrique. Because Luis Enrique, from what I understand, was like top of Paratici's list. So, yeah, if Spurs end up with Luis Enrique, Fabio Paratici definitely said, him, please. Um, although, let's be honest, if they did go back to Fabio Paratici in any way, it's not going to be a good look. Regardless, unfortunately, of of whatever's happened with the FIFA bill being kind of partially reduced, the look, the aesthetic of them going back to a guy that's not only been banned in Italy, partially banned across the world, has just been announced. There's another case, isn't there, in the Italian courts coming up um, next month uh, to do with, I think it was the salary inflation and things like that. Um, and I think there's still the UEFA investigation that's done by a separate entity hasn't, I don't even think that's got to its conclusion yet. So, yeah, if I'm Spurs, with with no disrespect intended, but purely because of the noise around him, I would not be wanting to be seen to go back to Paratici in any way, shape, or form for any kind of advice. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens next. Do you know what? I've kind of got the funny feeling that it might go the other way, and we it might get wrapped up suddenly and quite quickly. I don't know why. There's just a part of me that thinks they're not going to want it to spill on because of how embarrassing it would look again and I wouldn't be shocked if in reaction to the way the slot stuff was and obviously they're going to feel like they look like they were rejected even if they feel they weren't I don't know and I wonder whether they just now suddenly quickly move as soon as this season's wrapped up as well um, get that done get Sunday done and then maybe you see something happen quite quickly after the season's done there's no reason why it shouldn't let's be honest <laughs> they should be wrapping up their director of football and manager sooner rather than later. I mean, how long do you, does it take to uh, decide on a person? It, it really shouldn't be that long. And uh, there's plenty of candidates. Out, let's be honest. Everyone we've named, I would think all of them could do a reasonable, at least at the bare minimum, job at Spurs. And some of them, hopefully, a really good job. So it's not like there's no decent candidates. That was the thing in 2021. I don't know if you felt that back then. It kind of felt like, ooh, but, but who actually is there to kind of take over? Whereas this year, I'd actually say there's a lot of candidates that I'd be perfectly happy with. There's some I want more than others, but I wouldn't say that it's an absolute disaster of a field out there. And there's probably going to be more that get named as well. I saw the, was it the Fiorentina manager was getting linked yesterday as well um, with the brilliant surname Italiano. Although I don't think he's Italian, is he? I have no idea. But I think he's done a really good job there. So I think they yeah. were in Coppa Italia final. Obviously, they're in Conference League final against West Ham as well. So, yeah, another yeah. another name on the list. It is, but I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks, Deserbi aside, do you, would you go back uh, to for another Italian manager? It's a bit like I can imagine them being warned off Portuguese managers for a little while after having Jose and Nuno. But then, you know, Amrin's been in there as well. Um, I want to check that now because I've said it's Vincenzo Italiano. He was, yeah, no, he was born in Germany. There you go. That is brilliant. Why is he not <laughs> Vincenzo Germano? Um, but yeah, no, no, he has done a, a good job. But to be honest, I, I've got to truly admit, I don't know too much about him. The one I kind of thought was when I started to see the um, Napoli boss uh, and the potential of him going as well. Yeah, I did start to wonder, like, ooh, would that be one? But again, I just don't know whether they go Italian again or not. He says as they announce probably a new Italian head coach. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the next path takes us. Um, 
who knows? Maybe it was all a big bluff all along, a big smoke screen. They were leading us, or we were being led in the direction of slot, and suddenly someone else even more exciting comes on. I'm going to cling to that hope. Right, before we move on to Sunday's game against Leeds, Ali, do you want to let everyone know the benefits about using NordVPN? Yeah, of course. The Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is, if you're not aware, sponsored by NordVPN, and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. It's something I've done many, many times in the past. Even before they were sponsors, I had NordVPN and I was using them for various holidays, for work-related stuff, just to be able to kind of access various services that I could at home, but for some reason couldn't abroad. Um, and on top of that, it's actually a very secure and safe service to be able to use when you're using public Wi-Fi because it locks down everything in your device and stops those nasty cyber types trying to get into your um, devices and take the important information out of it. Um, and not only that, the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So, for example, you might be able to book a flight from another country um, going through that other country, and that could be cheaper as well. So it means while you're paying out for Nord, you're saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Right then, Sunday is the final game of the 2022-23 Premier League season. Tottenham. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Tottenham are making the trip to Ellen Road to take on Leeds United. Leeds United in the battle to stay in the Premier League. Tottenham now in the battle uh, to try and claim a place in the Europa Conference League. So, Certainly a lot riding on uh, the game in West Yorkshire. I mean, for you, having seen Spurs miss out now on the Champions League and the Europa League, do you want Spurs to be in the Conference League or do you think it'd benefit them next year now to just miss out on that competition? Uh, I'm in the camp of, I think you need European football regardless. Um, I know, I understand the... The logic and the arguments put across for not having any European football, I get that. But then I, I also always counter that with people always want their team or Spurs specifically to have a strong, deep squad. You have a strong, deep squad, that squad needs to be playing matches. And that's what European football of any nature gives you. It gives you extra time, uh, sorry, extra fixtures in your schedule. It could also, especially the Conference League, allow you to take a look at some of these younger players and, and give them a little bit more experience in the early group stages. Um, you know, it can sometimes be the making of these players as well. Um, and just, I think, for the fans, I think maybe the um, fans who aren't able to go for various reasons uh, to all the away games, let's say, maybe it would mean not so much. But I would say for those fans who like to go on those European away trips, you know, sometimes these competitions can actually provide the best European away trips. I'm sure they could enjoy themselves heading off around the country to these slightly different clubs. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like it personally. Um, it also gives us, you and me, more to talk about in midweeks. Um, from a completely work-related view, it'd be quite nice to have extra little bits and pieces to be able to write and talk about. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, it's just, for me, the most disappointing thing is that we've been talking all season near enough about the top four of the Champions League. And now here we are with the possibility that Spurs could finish ninth, let alone, you know, Conference League. Um, it's It's so disappointing what's happened to this club this season. It really is. They're an absolute mess and, wow, they need to change so much. They need to change so much, not even the first team. You know, the amount of – I've kind of um, spoken to various people in and around the club and, and the need for improvement investment uh, that needs to be made in, in even departments like the, the data department for analysis, the medical department, uh, the funding for the academy, trying to increase that and, and improve their salary structure so they don't lose players, these star starlets that they're trying to produce – 
It's a club that just needs to be improved so much from top to bottom and most of all have this clear direction. So, yeah, I kind of feel like a long way around there, but I kind of feel like European football added to all of that is not the worst thing in the world. I think it benefits. It's Regardless of how much it is, it's another financial revenue stream coming in as well to help improve everything. Um, yeah, I, I think it's one of those where I don't think Spurs should ever sniff at another route to a trophy. Uh, they need every opportunity they can get to try and get one. Yeah, I think if you're in the competition, I know it's certainly not the most glamorous of competitions, then, you know, go and win it. Tottenham haven't won a trophy for, what, 15 years? It'll be 16 years in February. I think you've got to go all out. And I mean, if Spurs do get to the final, good luck in getting the ticket because I think West Ham have what? 4,000 tickets for their yeah. final in Prague. I don't know where it is next year. Maybe Fleetwood or somewhere like that with a small <laughs> stadium. But, yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, I know, like you said, it's, it's not the best of competitions, but I think you can give a chance for the youngsters uh, to have a game. Those on the periphery of, of the first team. Yeah, I think you're better in Europe than obviously being out of it but we'll wait and see it's in Aston Villa's hands I think they're a point ahead of Spurs at the moment they've got a tough final game though uh, against Brighton Villa have been playing really well uh, at the moment so are Brighton but I mean all Spurs can do is just go to Ellen Road and win and hopefully results go their way but it'll certainly be tough because Leeds uh, can still you know stay in the Premier League but they're going to need results to go their way Uh as well so in terms of the team then what what do we think Ryan Mason will do uh, stick with a 4-2-3-1 because I know Tottenham did lose 3-1 against Brentford last Saturday but for the first 45 minutes of that game that was probably one of the best first half displays of the season it was just classic Spurs this season in the honestly at half time there were actually applause and cheers and it was like a season that there's only the second home game. You had booze at halftime. Here we were at the final home game. It's halftime. I was like, everyone was like, wow, that was actually really good. That had a lot of the kind of football we want to see. Chances galore created. An incredible Harry Kane goal, which was just an amazing finish. And yeah, if they can replicate what they did, but learn the lessons of how they failed to adapt in the second half to the uh, Thomas Frank's changes then yeah, I would probably stick with what they had in that first half um, because it, it was, it like I say, it created a lot of chances. And look, I know we say they've only got to win at Leeds, but let's be honest, this is a team, Spurs, that have not won a game outside London in the Premier League since October last year, which is absolutely disgusting. It's so disgraceful. Um, so there's absolutely no evidence that suggests that they can even go there and win this game. But, They've got to. They've got to finish the season in some kind of positive. They've got to, otherwise, it's just going to be an absolute rubbish season finished off with absolute rubbish. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't change it up too much. Um, obviously, uh, I was trying to think of where you could maybe make the changes. I mean, Danjuma. Danjuma did bring energy. I know he didn't have a massive impact, but I would say that I quite like the aspect of him and Son both going down the wings, flying down the wings. It gave a different element. And I thought Decky played really well in that number 10 role that he'd previously told us that was his favoured role. So, yeah, I, I don't think, other than those two headers late on, Richardson probably did enough to push himself back into the starting lineup. And also, I do think he's quite a good impact sub at the moment. Kind of, kind of changes the... Uh, the battling dynamic up there. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of anything. I thought Basuma was a big positive, so I'd stick with him in the midfield as long as his legs have kind of recovered enough. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't make too many. I'm trying to think in my head any changes I'd make. I think I'd stick with that for now. You know, he's hampered by what changes he can make, to be honest. Um, and I don't think there's any that massively change it too much. So, yeah, just more that first half. I really would go for that in an ideal world, of course. Yeah, I think probably the only change I'd make would be I'd bring Richarlison in for Dan Juma. Obviously, Dan Juma's loan spell's coming to an end. I think Richarlison probably could deal with finishing the season on a positive. So I'd probably 
bring him in. Uh, then the other ones, I think it's just a case of need the update from Ryan Mason's press conference this afternoon because Christian Romero and Peter-Emil Heuberg uh, missed out through injury uh, last game, so I need to see if they're in the position to play. What we do know is Eric Dyer's uh, missing uh, on Sunday. Then he's gone for groin surgery. He's had the problem for quite a few months now, but uh, managed to play on uh, with the issue. Uh, so he's out. Uh, so I don't think there'll be many changes. I think maybe one, two, maybe max. I suppose mm. it depends on the injury front as well. So uh, we'll know a bit more once Ryan Mason's spoken to the press at half one. Maybe. On... <laughs> he's not the best with injury news. He's got a bit of the Christian <laughs> Selenitis in that he, yeah, he fails to sometimes mention some players that don't appear suddenly. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see on uh, the injury front. But like we're saying, I don't think there'll be uh, massive changes, and you just need to replicate that first half performance over ninety minutes. Then, fingers crossed, Tottenham will be able to come away from Ellen Road with a positive results. Uh, one more thing. Say, Go on. I was just going to say before you—you you may have been moving on to this anyway. On Eric Dyer. I do wonder if that explains somewhat what we've seen over recent months where he hasn't been that impressive. I know there's some people that will never take to Eric Dyer, but if you're going to be completely honest, he started the season well. He did start the season well. Um, and it was almost really kind of when he got the England call up and got started to get back into it. But from what we understand, he's been carrying this injury since the World Cup. Um, and has really, really struggled. And so, Sorry, he's tried to play through it uh, presumably because maybe they didn't have the defensive numbers. I don't know the actual reason for it. Um, but then he's just kind of had to. The pain's become too much. He's had to have this operation and he's going to be back in time for pre-season. Um, it felt a little bit like, to me, the Trippier last season for Spurs. Kieran Trippier had an absolute... Oh, it was not good last season at Spurs at all. And he admitted it himself, wasn't good enough. But it was only later he actually admitted to being carrying this injury. It was the one he picked up, I think. Was it in the World Cup semi-final against Croatia? And they brought him back for the third place match. I feel it was. And then he kind of never fully got that fixed or sorted or something. I might be getting my dates wrong, but I think that's what it was. Um, and yeah, and he kind of left under this cloud. And obviously we're seeing what he's doing nowadays. He's a very, very good player. Um, so I just wonder with Dyer, th there's an element of maybe either he or the club should have made that decision a lot earlier. Why has it kind of been left to the end of the season? I know it's quite commonplace. I think it's quite a commonplace thing for players to get to an end of a season before they're fixing it, fixing issues that they've had during it, little operations and surgery because of the recovery time. But still, I don't clearly with hindsight, it didn't do him any favours. Performance is dipped. Um, and now he's at a stage where, unfortunately, if the club want to extend his contract so they don't lose him for very little, I know some fans don't want that happening, that's kind of the issue, is that they're going to probably be quite a bit of outrage if his contract were to be out uh, renewed. Whereas maybe if he'd got his injury fixed early in the season, he'd come back, had finished the season well, it might have been less of an issue. But uh, that's football, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. One thing before we call it a day on today's podcast, uh Football.London's Tottenham Player of the Season award is now uh, up and running. So you can vote for one of four players. Uh, I think last year we were probably uh, struggling to uh, decide on four players because there was probably a number of players in the running. This season, it's been uh, quite hard <laughs> coming up with four players, put it that way. Uh, I think we decided on three of them pretty early, who are Harry yeah. Kane, Emerson Royale and Rodrigo Bentenker. The fourth option, we've gone for PML Hoiberg in the end. And I think a number of fans have told us this morning that basically, why is he in the running for player of the year? Why isn't someone else? But who else do you pick, really? I mean, over the course of the season, it has been tough to pick four players. Yeah, and to be fair, a lot of people have also been saying to you, why have you bothered? Well, it's just Harry Kane. Look, we know Harry Kane is the best player the Spurs have had this season by a mile. He's like, this should just be called the Tottenham Harry Kane Player of the Season Award. We know that. But obviously, the whole essence of a, a Player of the Season Award is you have to come up with potential nominees. So we had to pick others. And yeah, Benson could definitely, but obviously he's missed a massive chunk of the season. 
um, this like final third of the season. Emerson Royale, yes, he's had some absolute mares, but I think the very fact that he came back so strongly, I think, is a huge, massive kind of kind of thing in his corner, and it, it's incredible mental strength. I think he showed as well, and he's had a lot of good performances since. Um, I've seen some people say, oh, you know, if Emerson's in there, that's very much uh, shows what rubbish season. I don't think so. I think you should be rewarded for having that mental strength and being able to turn things around. And yeah, we did struggle with the fourth one massively. Uh, Ben Davies could have been in there. But I know, again, recent performances haven't been as great. He was struggled against Brentford, Ben Davies. So I don't think people would react well to that. They haven't reacted particularly well to Hoybier, some of them as well, despite the fact he started the season really well. And I think he was one of the players that probably, with Benton Kerr's absence, also was highly affected as well. Um, but his stats, you look at Hoybier's stats, they're much, you know, his, his attacking instincts improved so much this season in the role we had to play in. You know, we even toyed with Fraser Forster at one point, which would have been ridiculous because. He's come in as a backup keeper and played a, a few games in this season, you know, relatively. Um, so, yeah, look, we get it. We understand on Twitter people go, no, it should be Kane, Kane, Kane. I've seen people saying to us, it's like, yeah, we know that. We're not daft. We know he's head and shoulders above, but we've got to give you other alternatives and try and get you debated. For me, the debate is is kind of almost more interesting about, let's say, that fourth slot. And and uh, I'm sorry to use the word slot. <laughs> that was actually unintended there. Um, but yeah, to have like, such a bad season, who has actually raised their head? You know, at one point, at some point, you could have even maybe said Oliver Skip. It, it's been a season where he's had to step in and he's had that big goal against Chelsea. Um, he's had some moments where he's done very well. Obviously, recent weeks, I think he's suffered from the fact that he and Hoybier are too similar. But, you know, he could have been another one. Um, but, yeah, it, it's slim pickings, let's be honest. Yeah, I think it's going to be a bit of a landslide victory for Harry Kane, uh, this <laughs> one. But do do cast your vote. Uh, it's on the football.london uh, page. I think it's in all the stories it's on our social channels as well. So do, do cast your vote for who you think should be Tottenham's player of the season. Right, we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Gold and Guest Top Tottenham. We'll be back next week to discuss the outcome of the Leeds United game, probably the season as a whole, and there'll no doubt be another twist in the search for a new manager. So thank you as ever for listening in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guests to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.